in Revelation chapter 22. We've been doing a study on the last days. And today is going to be the concluding message in that study. And 20, chapter 22 in Revelation is a powerful chapter. And it's the climax of the book. And it's the climax of the entirety of, of Scripture. And there's just some wonderful things in this passage, but there's also some things that we need to understand that aren't so wonderful. And so I want you to join me today. I've entitled this message, Four Realities and Three Destinies, because there's four powerful realities that we see in chapter 22, and there's three destinies, and I want us to understand those. So let's look at verse 12 in Revelation chapter 22, and let's read through the end of the chapter. Jesus is speaking here. He says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away His part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The book of Revelation isn't written so that we would just sit around and speculate about what all of the prophecies mean. It's not for us to just speculate about things that are going to take place in the future. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we'll know Him better. We will encounter Jesus. But it does speak of future things. And while it speaks of future things, it's, it's for us to prepare ourselves for living right now. We know some of the things that are going to take place in the future, and it challenges us to live for the Lord right now and to prepare for what's coming. To pray. To seek to see people come to know Jesus. And so as we look at this passage today, I want to begin with this thought. We just read the end of the book, and we win! <laughs> hey. Oh, two or three of you like that. I love to win. 
And especially when it comes to eternal things, I like to win. Amen? And God says because of what He's done and we know Him, we're going to spend eternity with Him. We're going to experience the water of life. That salvation, that eternal life. We're going to experience that. We're going to be in the presence of God for eternity. Amen? We win. I love that. That's a reality for us. Amen? As we look at this today, I want to begin with verse 17. Because this verse is one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. Look what it says. Let's read it again. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Those are beautiful words, church. The Spirit of God invites us to come. And then it includes the bride, those of us who have made that commitment to Christ. We are to be shouting, come! Come and be a part of our family. Come and know God. Come and experience His love and His grace and His mercy. Come experience the water of life. And then it says, let him who hears, let him who hears say come. So when, when we hear the words come from the Spirit and, and those that know the Lord, then others who hear that, they're called to, to join us in that and to join us in that choir of voices that invite the masses to come and to know Jesus Christ. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him come. Take, or let him take the water of life freely. Those have to be some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. God could have written man off because of our sin. But He didn't. He said, come. Come and have a relationship with Me because I've made a way for you even though we've fallen. Are you thankful for that today? I want to look at four realities. The first one is in verse 13 of chapter 22. Some of these realities you're going to say, oh yeah, I know that. That's why I'm here. And this is one of them. The first reality is there is a God. Look at verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus is saying here, I am before all things. I was at the beginning. I am beyond all things. I preceded all things, and I will exceed all things. I love that. This is an inescapable reality. But church, we live in a culture today that denies there's a God. They don't only deny the existence of God, but they ridicule and mock anyone who believes there's a God. That's our culture. That's being taught to our children, whether it's in the universities or whether it's in kindergarten, wherever they start talking about uh, the, how we came to be, they start teaching evolution. In church, there is evolution in each kind that God created. In other words, there's different dogs, and I love dogs, but God says a dog doesn't become a cat. 
And church, we're pounded with that today. We're ridiculed. We're mocked. They think, well, you're just uneducated. Or you're, you're not very smart. You can't think for yourself. Because if you can think for yourself and become educated, then you know that there isn't a God. And church, I am not ashamed to stand up and say, I know that I know that I know that there is a God. I know Him personally and He has changed my life. And I'm not ashamed of it. And when the, when the Spirit and the Bride say, come, I'm saying, yes, I'm part of that. I'm part of the church. I'm part of the Bride of Christ. And I want to tell everybody, you can come along with me. You can experience God. He will transform your heart and life. There are many, many evidences, and we don't have time, and I'm not going to go to in-depth, but I want to talk about two things that are powerful evidence for the existence of God. First of all, recent evidence of the reality of God has unraveled the human genome. In fact, when it was discovered by scientists and our president then, Bill Clinton, made this statement. He said, the discovery, this, this is the discovery of the language of the Creator. That's what he said. There's three billion basic pairs of DNA that form a human. Three billion basic pairs. Church, when we think about DNA and we think about the possibilities of all this just coming together and just happening, it's literally ridiculous to say that there is not a designer. It's ridiculous. We, there, we are so extremely sophisticatedly uh, created with the genetic code that you have, have to just totally want to deny and push God away and say there's no way there's a God to not see the evidence of God in each and every one of us. And so I want to challenge you as believers in Christ not not to just look for arguments with those that believe in evolution, but not to back down and to stand for what we know. The evidence is there that there's a God. If you look at our universe, if you look at, look at uh, how the planets function and how, how everything is put together, there's a designer. When you look at, at, at our state with all of its beauty, God loves Alaska. And he designed it awesome. <laughs> Amen. Everywhere you look, you see the majesty and the glory of God. You see the design of a creator. And, and you hear sometimes, well, well, it, maybe it's not God. Maybe it was uh, someone from another planet that, that came in a spaceship and a little green, green men seeded the earth. Who created them? Who brought matter into existence? You can be a thinker and you can believe in God because the evidence is there. In fact, in the scientific community, there are more and more scientists that are becoming uh, creationist, 
many of them. And if they're not quite creationists, they are at least acknowledging the design of a Creator. They may not believe in Jesus as Lord or Jesus as the Creator, but they're coming to the conclusion scientifically it's there because of the extreme sophistication in the human DNA. I'm thankful for that. Amen? One of the things, I could go on and on, but one of the things when you also begin to study animals and how they're created, there are many different animals that could not have evolved. They just could not because of the sophistication of the way they're designed. One of those is a giraffe. Anybody like giraffes? Is that your, anybody like, a lot, I don't know, Melinda likes giraffes. I think they're kind of weird looking myself. You know, this long neck so they can eat at the top. But the thing is, they could not have evolved. They had to be created just as they are because a giraffe has a valve that literally stops the blood flow on that long neck to the brain when it reaches down and begins to drink. Because there's such a tremendous blood pressure in the heart's pumping to get the blood circulating through that long neck into that brain that it would kill the giraffe if it didn't have that valve to stop that. There's evidence. And if you look at the animal kingdom, time and time again, you will discover things just like that that couldn't evolve. They had to be designed and created specifically even to exist. And I'm not going to continue that. Another thing we need to know that is evidence. How do we know what is evil and what is good? If we're this goo, that primordial goo that was struck by lightning in some pool and then became an amoeba and then worked its way up to a monkey and then you, I don't know about you, but that takes a lot more faith in believing in a Creator. It just does. But if that was true, how come every one of us has, when we're, we're born, we're created with an understanding of what's right and what's wrong? Every culture, every geographical area around the world, it doesn't matter where you travel, there is some code of ethics, some code of morality that in that culture that says this is right and this is wrong. If we're just animals, we wouldn't have that, church. We wouldn't care about morality at all. We wouldn't have any understanding that to, that to come and, and to take a life is wrong. But every culture understands basic things of morality and we were created that way. And third, the third thing that's evidence of God is that there are billions of people that have accepted Jesus Christ throughout the existence of humanity that have walked with Him and talked with Him and experienced the life-changing presence of the living God in their lives. Are you with me? The greatest evidence for God is what He did in me. 
and what He did in you. I don't like Pastor Milt without Jesus. And you wouldn't either. I wouldn't even like Pastor Don without Jesus. Amen? But we encountered the Creator. We encountered His love. We encountered His grace. And that's one of the things that we need to understand. Not only is it the existence of God, but also that God is love. Amen? He's a God that not only created us, He didn't just create us and walk away and say, there you go, have fun. When man fell, he could have said, no, I'm, 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 I'm getting rid of this. I'm not going to have anything to do with man. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to make a way, even though man fell, even though man sinned, and, and from generation it's passed down in our, in our spiritual DNA, so to speak. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. But Jesus is the answer. God had a way. He sent His Son for us. Amen? And the greatest evidence for, for the reality of God is all of the, the Christians around the globe today. People that are willing to, to bow their knee and allow someone to chop off their head rather than deny the relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Are you with me? It's real. It's real. Because God's real. The second thing, and I went too long on that point. I've got to hurry up. The Word of God is the second reality. Look at verse 14 in Revelation chapter 22. Blessed are those who do His commandments. The Word of God. The God that designed us, the God that created us, is the same God that gave us His Word. So many people say, well, you can't trust it. Yes, you can. You can trust God's Word. The God that created this universe and created you is more than capable of keeping the content of His Word secure. And we can go back and, and, and see in history, there's no other book from antiquity that compares to the Word of God. In the number of, of ancient texts that we have, we can tell exactly what's been there from the, from the original. And so church, we can trust in God's Word today. And He tells us to follow these commandments. And His commandments, church, are not burdensome. His commandments are benevolent. And as a pastor, I have found this true over and over through the years. When, when I do a series on the Ten Commandments, you know, people think, oh, He's just going to beat us up. The commandments are love. Because the greatest life you will ever experience here on earth is a life that's surrendered to the Creator and surrendered to His design for your life. Are you with me? And we don't have time to go, go deep into that today, but I want to tell you, church, that's true. I'll give you another verse from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. He said, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. A jot is the smallest of letters in the Arabic, in the original language that was written. It was the smallest 
letter. And a, and a tittle is compared to English would be like taking a Z or an O in our English language and making it into a Q with the one little line. The, the line would be equivalent to what it means by a tittle. So Jesus is saying not one small little letter in the alphabet is going to be changed or not one small mark is going to be changed in the Word of God. In Revelation chapter 22, again, verse 18 and 19, it tells us something else about the Word of God. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. This speaks of the absolute authority of God's Word. There's no authority greater than our Lord and His Word. And it talks about adding to. And I want to I ask you, well, Pastor, there's no way I'm going to sit down and write another book or write another chapter in Revelation. Some people try to add. It's called legalism. It's where people begin to put things onto other Christians that aren't in Scripture. I've seen it a lot in my lifetime, and legalism kills. It's when I, when I come up to Pastor Don and I'm, I tell him, I'm sorry, Pastor, but you're not going to be allowed in church today because you don't have a tie on. That's legalism. I don't care how you come. I want you to come. Sometimes I'll wear jeans on Sunday. Sometimes I dress up like today. It doesn't matter. Because God's Word tells us He looks at the heart. And when we begin putting things on people... You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And so we're, we're called to, to say, Holy Spirit, if we see something in, in uh, someone's life, we, we ask, Holy Spirit, You deal with that. But we don't add to or take away from the Word of God. Another, another way people take away from the Word of God. They, they may not realize it, but they take away from the Word of God when they don't preach the whole counsel of God. They take away from the Word of God when they never preach on certain subjects. I know, I know denominations and pastors that never preach on healing because they don't believe that God heals today. Yet he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yet we have countless numbers of people that have experienced a healing touch from God. We've seen and experienced genuine miracles from God. Yet there are those that will not want, they don't want to read that, they don't want to teach that, they don't want to preach that. That's taking away from Scripture. And church, you know me. I love God's Word, and I'm going to preach generation, gener, boy, I'm having trouble today. Genesis to Revelation 22. Amen? I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God. 
I'm going to tell you I've seen miracles. I've seen God heal people. I'm going to tell you you can experience the infilling of, of the Holy Spirit to empower you, to equip you, to walk the walk and talk the talk. And in fact, we can't do it without Him. Amen? He gives us the commandments. We can't live the commandments unless we're surrendered to Him and welcome Him to empower and equip us to do that. The third thing that's a reality I want us to see is the judgment of God. Look at verse 15. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now when, when, when you read passages like that, people will say, well, that pastor's just a hellfire and brimstone pastor. And church, I want to make this clear. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven because he never wanted anybody to go there. And I'm a passionate pastor when I'm preaching. When I'm not preaching, I'm, I'm the quiet little guy that sits over in the corner. But when I get behind the pulpit and I feel the presence of God and I read His Word, I come with a passion. And sometimes I get loud. But I am not a hellfire and brimstone pastor in, in the sense that I'm not trying to preach condemnation. But I'm going to tell you what God's Word says and it says there is going to be a day of judgment. Because any pastor that never touches that church, any pastor that never touches that, is not doing you a good a service. He is not equipping you. Are you with me? And frankly, there needs to be more hellfire and brimstone preaching today because our world is going to hell in a handbag. They need to be warned. They need to understand. God's Word says there's going to be judgment. Notice the word here, it says, but outside. That's outside of the presence of God. Outside of the kingdom that was spoken of right in the verse before. The kingdom of God. The new Jerusalem. It's talking about outside of that. And then it says, it says outside of the city are dogs. And you think, well, what does God have against little puppies, you know? Why does He not like dogs? That's not what it's talking about. The term dogs in that day was used for those who didn't have a master and who were unclean because dogs were considered an unclean animal. And in that day, most people didn't have them as pets. They ran wild. They didn't have a master. So it's talking about people that are uh, unclean and they don't know the master. Are you with me? It also uh, talks about sorcerers. And the Greek word there is the same Greek word that we get our word pharmacy from. It's interpreted here as sorcerers or magicians, but deeper than that, they were, they were people who dabbled in drugs. And they would, get, they would create drugs that would alter people's minds. We have it today. We have so many people that are hurting and wounded and they turn to drugs to escape. Church, we need to rise up and say, come. Come, there's a better life than that. Amen? 
And then it talks about the sexually immoral. And it includes adulterers or fornication or prostitution. Any unclean sexual act. And, and all I'm going to say about that church is the greatest experience, the most fulfilling sexual experience you'll ever have is in one man and one woman in the holy bonds of marriage. That's the way God created it. If you're not married, wait for the right one that God brings into your life. Amen? Because I've seen so many lives destroyed. So many homes destroyed. Because our culture says, oh, if it feels good, do it. You know, I even had a lady one time come up to me and say, Pastor, I, had, I, was good. I came to my pastor and he gave me this counsel. When I asked him a, a, about premarital sex, and she said, I'm confused. I don't think the Bible says that's right. But my pastor told me that, well, you wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without trying them on first. That's what the pastor told her. And I said, God help him. He's bought into the, the, the mindset of the world. And I encourage our, our young people Keep yourself pure. God will help you do that. And wait for the right one. I'm thankful that all three of my children waited. They're not perfect, but I instilled in them the importance that the greatest fulfillment comes when you do it God's way. Amen? Amen. I'm going to go on. Number four. The, of the realities that are given to us here. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Amen. It's salvation. Salvation is a reality. You can know that you're right with God. And if you're here today and you don't know that you know that you know, in just a moment we're going to close the service in prayer and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and say, Lord, I know I need you in my life. I, know, I need to know that I'm right with God and I welcome you to come into my heart, into my life, to forgive me of all my sins because I want to be right with you. Amen. Salvation is a reality, church. Remember the, the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. She was there at noonday. Why was she there at noonday? Because she was an outcast of society? Because she was an immoral woman? She, 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 she was considered in that day immoral. And so she had to come and, and to the well and get water when no one else would in the heat of, of, of noonday. And yet Jesus goes and the disciples were shocked that He was talking to her. Not only because she was an immoral woman, but also because she was just a Samaritan. And the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. There was racial discrimination there between the groups. And people who say that Christianity is racist haven't read the Word. And they don't know Jesus. Because Jesus went to the Samaritan. He wanted her to experience well or water from a well that will never run dry the water of life he wanted her to experience salvation 
And I'm going to close with three destinies today. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 21 through 22, it gives us the destiny of this world. The destiny of what humanity has accomplished. Listen to this. Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any kind shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. Most Bible scholars take Babylon to represent the commerce and the world economy. What makes the world operate. What makes the whole entirety of the world run. And it says here in Revelation, not only in this verse, but others, that the economy is going to come crashing down. One day, the stock market will crash. One day, all of our currency is going to crash. One day, all of the economic system of the entirety of the world is going to crash because it's not founded on God and godly principles. It's founded on greed. And it's interesting in this verse, it says that the points of jubilation and creativity and artistry, that they won't be anymore because there's going to be no reason to celebrate. In fact, the next verse, verse 23 says, And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. Think about that. One of the the greatest celebrations in any culture is at a wedding. We love weddings. We love to celebrate love and, and a family coming and being birthed together. And, and, and we, we anticipate the, the good things ahead for the family. And we rejoice and we celebrate. Even, even if we're not a people of faith, if we're not believers. Other people have great weddings and they celebrate the family. And in this day, there would be no celebrations even on those occasions. That's the destiny of our world. It's going it's to crash. And there's coming a day when the party's over. Our world right now lives for the party. You see it all the time on TV and magazines and books and everything. It's, you hear that term all the time. Party! We're going to party! There's coming a time when there will be no more party. One of the saddest things that I've ever heard is when someone that doesn't know the Lord will say, well, if I go to hell, it's going to be okay because I'm, I'm going to be with all my friends and what a party we're going to have down there together. Nothing could be further from the truth. There will not be any parties in hell. The party's over. The second destiny. The ultimate destiny for Christians is the eternal city of God. 
In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 4, and in uh, chapter 22, verse 1 through 3, I'm going to read it. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the holy city coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. Our ultimate destiny is to dwell for eternity with our Creator, our Lord, our Savior, our God. And I love this part. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Behold, I make all things new. And He showed me a pure river of water, of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. Amen. Amen. Church, we're the ones that's going to have the party. <laughs> Amen. We're going to come and celebrate with the Lamb of God. We're the ones that are going to celebrate with Jesus forever. We're going to praise Him and worship Him. We're going to gather around the throne of God. And we're going to experience His awesome love and His grace and His mercy and His presence. We're going to experience it for, for, for eternity. Now some people have the wrong idea of heaven. They think, we're going to be floating on clouds that we're all going to be wearing Roman togas and that we're going to be popping grapes in our mouth while we play a harp. The greatest fulfillment God has for us is when we go to be with Him for eternity. You will not be bored in heaven. You will have an assignment. You will have a work to do. You will be uh, experiencing greater fulfillment in your life than you ever can here. So heaven, Paul said, to die is gain. He said it's far better to go to be with the Lord. And that's why at, at, at a believer's funeral church, it is a celebration. Because it's far better to go to be with Jesus than even the best of life here. Are you with me? It's far better to be with Him. To die is gain, Paul said. He said, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? Oh, and I could, I could preach a whole me message on that, but I'm not. I'm going to give you one more verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I love this verse. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. You cannot begin to imagine the things that, the, that, that because of God's love and His grace and His mercy, He has prepared just for you. He created you. He knows what you like. I get tickled sometimes at people that try to think about when they, they read about Jesus saying, um, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And they think, hmm, what kind of mansion am I going to have? Is it going to be a southern mansion with big white columns out front? The word actually there in the original language means rooms. 
God wants us close to Him. We're going to live in our Father's house. But I guarantee you, a room in the Father's house is going to be greater than any mansion that you can ever imagine. Amen? Finally, the third destiny. We talked about it just a minute ago. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Church, I am thankful I'm not going to be judged according to the works of my life. I'm going to be judged according to what Jesus accomplished for me. And you, if you know Him, aren't going to be judged because of your works. You're declared innocent as if you have never sinned if you've accepted the gift of Jesus. Verse 13 says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Church, I don't like that passage of Scripture. But it is the Word of God. And to preach the whole counsel of God, you have to address the fact that God created a lake of fire. And that is a possible destiny, not only for the devil and the angels, that's who it was created for. It was never created for man. God never intended for anyone to go to hell. He doesn't send anyone to hell. It is a choice that every one of us has to make. And there are those that will push God away. And he, he draws and He tugs at our hearts. He gives us opportunities. But it's God who made the way so we don't have to experience that. And church, as we read all these things today, there's one thing that I want us to understand. And that is, church, we should be thankful today. We should be excited. God's got a destiny for us. Everything is settled because the cross of Jesus, He shed His blood for us. Everything is right so that we can receive that salvation. And church, we don't have to fear what tomorrow holds. We don't have to fear who's president, who's in our Senate, who's in Congress. Church, I'm praying right now if there's any fraud that it be exposed. I want righteousness and justice in our nation. But whoever is in the White House, and I, Dr. Don believes that God told him it's going to be Trump, so be it. But whoever's in, he, he can only be in there four years. And then, we, then we're, we're liable to have another crazy president we may not particularly like. But church, we're called to pray. And we're called not to live in fear. And we're called to believe God. And, to, and again, I want to end with the thought. What did, what did verse 17 say? And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst, come. 
Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That's our responsibility, church. We're to join the Holy Spirit in inviting people to come to know God, to know their Creator, to experience the destiny that God has for us in Christ. You say, Pastor, I don't like sermons like that when you talk about lake of fire and stuff. Why don't you preach on John 3.16? Anybody like that? I want to end with that. Because everything we've talked about is contained in John 3.16 as well. For God so loved the world. There's the existence of God and that He loves the world in its entirety. He loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. His Son is the Word. Jesus is the Word. That whoever believes in Him, believing, that's receiving the water of life, whoever believes in Him should not perish. Oh, what does that mean? It's talking about the lake of fire. But have everlasting life. That's heaven. (laughs) Will you stand with me, worship team? Will you come?